Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A wind-driven fire in the back country near Santa Barbara has prompted evacuations and forced a shutdown of parts of the 101 freeway. The Elisal fire broke out on Monday in the Los Padres National Forest and as of late yesterday had grown to more than 3,500 acres. The blaze is threatening about 100 structures, including several homes and ranches. Firefighters say they're concerned by the sheer amount of vegetation the fire can feed on It's believed the last time the area immediately around the fire burned was in 1955. Pacific Gas and Electric says it's shut off power to about 25,000 of its customers in Central and Northern California, and Southern California Edison says it may do the same for more than 10,000 of its ratepayers. Utilities do this because they fear their equipment might spark wildfires, especially in dry and windy weather. Here's Gabriela Ornelas, a spokesperson with SoCal Edison. So we understand that public safety power shutoffs are a hardship for our customers and they interfere with our with customers daily lives. But this is a a measure of last resort that we use when we when conditions uh, present themselves. Looking ahead, PG&E says it expects to start restoring power this afternoon, but Edison says it may turn off power to customers in parts of Kern, Ventura, and northern Los Angeles counties. SoCal Edison's equipment has been a source of ignition for past blazes, like 2018's Woolsey fire. PG&E began intentionally shutting off power in the fall of 2019, after an investigation determined the campfire that wiped out most of the town of Paradise was sparked by PG&E's equipment. And now to an exclusive story from KQED and our California newsroom. This one takes us thousands of miles away to Wall Street. My former California Report colleague, Lily Jamali, has uncovered what we're calling the Great Hedge Fund Sell-Off, a group of hedge funds selling billions of dollars of Pacific gas and electric stock. Lily joins me now with more on the impact this is having on 70,000 survivors of fires caused by PG&E. Hey, Lily. Hey, Saul. So let's set the table here. What is a hedge fund? And then beyond that, I understand you've been combing through hundreds of security filings as part of this investigation. What have you found? Yeah, Saul, it's a great question. And we looked at about 20 hedge funds. These are major investors that have a lot of money and they are looking for ways to grow that pool of money. And we found that in the year since PG&E left bankruptcy, the funds we examined had dumped 250 million shares of PG&E worth at least $2 billion. And this is relevant to fire survivors because they own about a quarter of PG&E stock. So as hedge funds bail, it puts downward pressure on the stock price. What did they say about the sell-off? 
they're really disappointed. Our findings confirm in a lot of ways what many of them suspected. I shared our findings with Butte fire survivor Terry McBride. She is still living in a trailer with her daughter on their property six years after a fire sparked by PG&E destroyed their home. Here's what she said about the hedge funds. We lost every single thing. And these folks want to make sure their pockets are padded. How in the hell do they look in the mirror? Put that in there. How do they look in the mirror? What part of humanity do they belong to? So now as part of your investigation, you also write that many of these hedge funds got some of this stock without paying a single red cent for it. How did that happen? Yeah, there's been very little reporting about this. When PG&E left bankruptcy, they needed money. They were going to sell more shares. And many of the hedge funds that we tracked were among those that offered, in exchange for a fee, to buy PG&E shares if no one else wanted to. That didn't end up being necessary, but the hedge funds still collected that massive fee. And as it left Chapter 11, PG&E ends up giving them $1.5 billion worth of shares in a special arrangement, which a bunch of insiders and academics that we talked to confirm is the largest fee of its kind ever in the history of corporate bankruptcies. And there are questions now about whether PG&E overpaid for that insurance policy of sorts. Okay, so out of all of those machinations, fire survivors are left holding the bag. Let's turn to the millions of ratepayers out there. What about them? And what does this all mean for the safety of our electrical grid in California? And does it create the possibility even of more wildfires in the future? Well, mostly it impacts us here in PG&E territory. There are 16 million of us in northern and central California. And for us ratepayers, PG&E, it's important to know, is now deeply in debt because of this bankruptcy. Very odd because most of the time when companies go into bankruptcy, they come out with a much cleaner bill of health than they started with. The opposite happened here. So essentially this hedge fund issue translates into PG&E having less money on hand to improve the electrical grid system so it doesn't cause future fires. Is that right? That's exactly right. You know, as I said, PG&E, generally, when a company goes into bankruptcy, it comes out with less debt, not more. In this case, when we look at where PG&E's debt load started before it went into bankruptcy and where it is today, it has doubled. And so that's going to make it harder for it to pay for the massive infrastructure improvements and vegetation management that it is doing now, but that it needs to do a lot more of to prevent fires. And Lily, if we want to read more about this, where can we go? You can go to kqed.org. Our story is posted there, and I do hope people will take a look at it. Absolutely. I know I'll be doing that. That is Lily Jamali, my former co-host of the California Report, who's come back to tell us about this important story. Lily, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Saul. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. 
Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Let's turn to the oil spill in Orange County. Yesterday, California's Attorney General and Senator Alex Padilla visited the site of the disaster. Here's KQED's Marisa Lagos. Standing at Huntington State Beach, not far from the pipeline leak that pumped tens of thousands of gallons of crude oil into the water, Attorney General Rob Bonta pledged to work with federal and local law enforcement to investigate the disaster. When we get involved and when we use our tools, um, we hope that we will continue to do what we've always done, which is uh, be accurate, uh, be complete, be thorough, be objective, and most importantly, achieve accountability where necessary and realize justice. Bonta says the state could bring civil or criminal actions in connection with the oil spill, which was reported to federal authorities on the morning of October 2nd. By that time, as much as 131,000 gallons had seeped from a pipeline that runs from an offshore platform to the port of Long Beach. The attorney general's remarks came after he and Senator Alex Padilla took an air tour of the affected region. Padilla says the view from the sky was promising. It seemed the cleanup operations uh, are making tremendous, tremendous progress. Uh, trust me, we looked, but did not see any big you know, patches of uh, uh, oil on the surface of the water and the areas that we covered. Padilla also pushed his colleagues in Congress to pass a ban on new offshore oil drilling in federal waters. The state of California already bars new leases in the water it controls. You know, many of us, myself included, have been calling for a ban on offshore oil drilling in federal waters for a long time now. This is just the most recent reminder of why it's necessary and why it's urgent. And we have a prime opportunity to accomplish exactly that through this budget reconciliation bill in the next couple of weeks. Also Monday, Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon announced the creation of a state legislative committee charged with investigating the cause of the spill, its impacts, and recommending any changes to state law that could help prevent leaks in the future. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. And work continues to save wildlife that's been affected by the oil spill in Orange County. So far, crews have been able to rescue 28 birds that were alive, but also recovered 45 that were dead. Michael Zaccardi is director of the Oiled Wildlife Care Network out of UC Davis, which is leading the recovery and rehabilitation efforts. He tells the California Report once the animals are rescued, they still have a lengthy recovery process. Once animals are completely normal, uh, body condition is normal, medical evaluation, uh, they're interacting with other animals in the pools the way they would normally do, um, then we can return them back to the clean environment. That whole process 
typically for a healthy animal other than having oil on it, can take up to two weeks. Although most of the birds that have been recovered have been found in Orange County, a handful have also been rescued in San Diego and Los Angeles counties. Zaccardi says the scope of the damage to wildlife seems to have been limited thus far, but the full impact on wildlife may not be known for months or years. Let's turn to healthcare and labor. Thousands of Kaiser Permanente's registered nurses and other healthcare workers in Southern California could stage a walkout. Nearly all members represented by the United Nurses Association of California Union of Healthcare Professionals have voted to authorize a strike. Marisol Reyes is one of them. He's a registered nurse in the emergency department of Kaiser Permanente in Fontana who nearly died of COVID and then returned to care for other COVID patients. Less than two months from being diagnosed, I came back to work to, to show my commitment to my profession and to my organization. And I think it's about time that Kaiser should do the same, should do the same to its employees, to do the same to, to its members. The Kaiser workers say they're facing severe staffing shortages that put both employees and patients at risk. And they say Kaiser is proposing a new two-tiered pay system that would make matters worse. Kaiser disagrees, saying its new wage scale is at a competitive market rate. Both sides will be back at the bargaining table this week. If a strike is authorized, it wouldn't happen immediately. Kaiser would be given a 10-day notice as required by law. But if it happens, it would be one of the largest strikes in the country so far this year. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, October 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great morning and day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.